Welcome to the Ortho Eval Pal podcast, where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. We hope you enjoy the show. And now, for your host, Paul Marquis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 311 of the Ortho Eval Pal podcast. I am your host, Paul Marquis, and today we're going to be talking about the straight leg race test. Is it a herniated disc or peripheral nerve entrapment? We're going to be discussing how to perform the straight leg raise test, modifications to the test. We'll go over deciphering nerve root compression from neural immobility. And we'll talk about matching up a positive straight leg raise test with other clinical findings and so much more. But if you don't mind holding for a moment, we're going to hear a word from our sponsors. You've all seen the name Chattanooga in rehab clinics. Chattanooga has been a staple for all your traditional clinical equipment needs. And they are now carrying modalities including high-powered laser, focus shockwave, and radial pressure wave devices. These modalities have the ability to transform your practice from both a clinical and revenue standpoint. Trust me, I have patients traveling over an hour to come have radial pressure wave treatment in our clinic. Click the link in the show notes to request a quote, schedule an in-person demo, or get more information on their new modalities. You can also visit their website at www.lightforcemedical.com. Welcome back, everyone. So I'm doing this recording on October 2nd, 2023, and uh, this is PT month. And uh, to all of you PTs out there, um, keep doing what you're doing. I mean, I've been doing this for over 31 years. Super excited to go to work. I'm on vacation right now, but I, I have to say I do miss my work and uh, can't wait to get back to it next Monday. And, um, you know, it's just such a rewarding profession. So I just hope all of you have a great PT month and uh, that you do get some recognition for all the hard work that you've put in to become a PT and all the hard work you put in as a physical therapist to help people get back on their feet and uh, and get moving again. So uh, congrats to all of you who have stuck with being a PT and who are continuing on as PTs. So Back to our show, um, you know, we're all very familiar with the straight leg raise test, right? The first thing that comes to mind when we have somebody who has a positive straight leg raise test is they have a lumbar herniated disc as the cause, all right? But I think before we get started with how to perform the test, we should talk a little bit about the anatomy. I'm really big into why we do what we do. We see so many patients and and year after year after year and week after week and month after month, we oftentimes will go through a series of special tests to help differentiate if they have a peripheral uh, nerve root entrapment or if it's a if it's a herniated disc or whatever it might be. And we do it kind of by rote. You know, you just get into a pattern and you do it, but you don't always think about what that test is doing. And remember, most of these tests are just selective tissue tension tests that have been named. So. I want to discuss a little bit, uh, you know, in regards to the anatomy first. So let's just kind of envision things here. We've got the spinal cord, uh, which is going down that spinal canal in your back. And off of the spinal cord are your nerve roots that come off and, you know, control all these different uh, parts of your extremities and whatnot. That nerve root needs to travel through the lateral vertebral foramen, so a small tunnel, okay? And that foramen is made up of two semicircles, basically a semicircle from the inferior vertebrae and a semicircle from the superior vertebrae, the front sides being held up by the, ver by the, um, the, the discs, and the posterior aspect is held up by the facet joint. And that facet joint is really close inside that, that foramen, okay, and really not too far from that nerve root. 
That nerve root has to travel back and forth. It slides in and out of that hole up to about four millimeters, okay? And it doesn't sound like a lot, but when we're talking about neural mobility, that is huge because nerves don't like to be stretched, all right? Now, let's talk about what happens when we do the straight leg raise test. Patients in the supine position, and this question comes up all the time, patient says, should I bend my other knee? And some patients automatically bend the other knee because they can't lay completely flat on their backs, all right, because it causes an anterior pelvic tilt because of the tight hip flexors, or maybe they have an arthritic hip, and, and it causes that anterior pelvic tilt, which causes the facets to get closed, and the foramen gets shut down, and it can be quite painful, all right, very common in people with lumbar spinal stenosis. So you need to remember that if you do put the patient flat on the back and they can lay flat, that is great because you know where the other leg is and it's easy to reproduce, right, when you go to do the other side. But if the patient has to bend the opposite knee, you really need to remember how far they're bending that knee because as soon as they do that, the pelvis posteriorly pelvic tilts a little bit and then we take some slack, we put some slack on the hamstrings and they don't get stretched as much when you're doing that straight leg raise test. So your angle of the straight leg raise test may change when you hit that painful point, all right? So if you are gonna flex the opposite knee, just make sure that when you do the other side, you measure that up and you keep them at exactly the same range of motion. Maybe the knee's at 90 degrees and you keep it consistently there so that the hamstrings on both sides are putting the same amount of tension when you're doing the test, all right? So on the test side, um, you are going to keep the knee in full extension and you're going to passively flex the hip with the leg straight, okay? Now, the foot should just be in a neutral position. You shouldn't worry about that right off. If they start to develop a significant amount of pain, like radiating discomfort going down the leg, between 0 and 45 degrees, that's pretty significant. Now, it needs to reproduce their concordant pain or the pain that they came in with or that, that shooting pain they get down their leg. It will reproduce that if they have a nerve root compression or neural tension, all right? So if it's neurogenic in nature, it should follow a dermatome, unlike a vascular claudication, which would cause a globalized discomfort or a globalized achiness uh, or something like that. When you have a nerve root compression, it is going to be more of a shocking type of discomfort. It could be a burning pain. Um, and people will, you know, use the, the term hot poker or like hot lava running down their leg. Now, once you get to that painful point, let's say it's 45 degrees and they're saying, okay, that's enough. They usually will stop you. You back off of that a little bit, you know, take back it off like five to 10 degrees. And then next, what you'll do is you'll perform a braggarts test and you're going to just dorsiflex that foot and cause more neural tension. Now, if they say that reproduces that same type of discomfort, but you've backed off the straight leg raise a little bit, then it's, it's pretty positive for nerve root compression. Okay, from you need to remember also that when you are doing this test, okay, you are putting the hamstrings on stretch. And then when you are also doing the braggers test and you're dorsiflexing the foot, you're putting the gastroc soleus musculature on stretch. And that is pulling on that sciatic nerve. You're, if you were able to get rid of all of the muscles in the lower extremity, really from the back down, just you know, snap your fingers and make them disappear and do a straight leg raise test, it's not likely that you could ever reproduce a straight leg raise test because you would 
not have this myofascial structure pulling on the sciatic nerve, okay? And we'll talk about that in a, in a little more detail here. Once you've done the Braggers test, I always, um, from there, just let the ankle go. So I take them out of that dorsiflex position and I take them back to the straight leg raise endpoint where they have discomfort there. And then I will bend the knee and ask them if they get relief. If they get relief, then that tells us again, there is some sort of neural tension or nerve root compression. Um, and then I'll do a sign of the buttock. So I will, from there, try to flex the hip further. And if they can get, you know, to 90 degrees, 100, 110 degrees, then we know that this is not an intraarticular hip problem. So you can do these three tests within like 10 seconds. It's simple. Um, and it's really about the description of what their discomfort is like. Some things you really need to consider is that when you are pulling that sciatic nerve root via stretching the hamstrings, um, you are getting neural tension, okay? So you can have sciatic symptoms without a herniated disc or without a hypertrophied facet. So if your facet is really hypertrophied, it's taking up space in that lateral foramen, that nerve root is not going to be able to glide that four millimeters that it needs to glide back and forth uh, in that hole and therefore can cause some neural tension, okay? And therefore, there is a, uh, there's a loss of neural mobility between the myofascial tissue in the leg and the sciatic nerve. So the example I'll typically use with people is imagine you have like three small pieces of rope about, you know, let's say they're, you know, five inches long and they're three inches apart on the table and they're all parallel to each other, okay? Now you douse that middle rope in glue, you put it back down on the table, and you stick your first and your third pieces to the middle one. So they're all lined up, all three of them are nice and parallel, and you let them dry a little bit, okay? Now, once they are dried, what you're going to do is you're going to try to take the rope number one and rope number three above and below that middle rope, and you're going to pull on them. And what happens? That middle rope, which would be, which would simulate the sciatic nerve, gets pulled also. Okay, so that causes neural tension. Like, you know, it's, it's classic. My son does not have any obvious signs of a herniated disc, but if he does long sitting uh, and sits there for 30 seconds, both of his legs have a, a tingling throughout the leg, usually throughout a dermatome on both sides because his hamstrings and his calves are just so tight. Okay. Um, and so that's not uncommon. So you need to think about that when you're evaluating somebody. So if they're having pain radiating down the leg when they have, when you do a straight leg raise test, is it because they have nerve root compression or because they have neural immobility? That nerve is not sliding and gliding amongst the soft tissues of the lower leg very well. All right. So I know your next question is, is, is how do you tell the difference between true nerve root compression and loss of neural gliding of the sciatic bundle? What I will then do if I if I'm having a hard time differentiating between the two, I will then do just a lower quadrant screen. OK, so I'll do some um, deep tendon reflex testing, sensation testing and strength testing. If you have a loss of any of those three, it's not likely to be just a neural gliding issue. It's more likely to be a herniated disc taking up room in that neural foramen, a, um, you know, a lot of inflammation, a lot of swelling, something, anything that is causing the nerve root to be compressed tightly, okay? Um, both nerve root compression and neural immobility 
can cause paresthesias, like I mentioned earlier about the story with my son. So I don't look at paresthesia that much um, when I do this test. I really will, you know, tease them out by doing deep tendon reflex testing, sensation and strength testing to see if it's a nerve root compression versus just neural immobility. Um, as far as treatment goes, that's, you know, really for a whole other podcast. But I will say, I, I probably get more positive comments on my sciatic nerve flossing video than any other of the 500 videos that I have. Um, people will comment constantly. I've had this leg pain for two years. I started your sciatic nerve flossing video, and within a day, I'm completely pain-free. Um, it's absolutely amazing at how many people have neural immobility or, you know, just this fibrosis between the nerve and the, the, the muscles. Um, and they just don't have that good sliding gliding of the nerve. So I will typically start almost all people with, the, with radicular pain down the leg with a very gentle nerve flossing uh, program and see how they do. I might start it manually just to get a feel for it and then teach them how to do it at home. And I have them do it pretty regularly. But the key here is to do it lightly because a nerve does not like to be stretched. So we're just trying to slowly improve the mobility of that nerve amongst the soft tissues there. And uh, we generally have some pretty good success with that. But again, I, I will probably throw this into another podcast and talk about how we would treat a herniated disc versus a, a neural immobility type of problem differently. So I hope you have a better understanding of why and how you do a straight leg raise test. Again, I hope you enjoyed the show and you know you find some value in it. Feel free to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast. Tell your friends about us. And if you have any desire to, to support the show, um, you can do so by hitting the support the show link in the show notes and that would be greatly appreciated so we can continue doing what we're doing to bring you this valuable content every week like we do thank you again for listening be kind to each other and take care we hope you've enjoyed the show for some more awesome content go to orthoevalpal.com can't wait to see you there